take your Bibles, if you would, this morning. Turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 20, starting in verse 24. You know, this is our year of by faith. By faith. And I want to minister a message this morning entitled, Faith, Doubt, and Unbelief. Faith, Doubt, and Unbelief. This was one of those messages last September as I was putting on the calendar that the Lord said this is a word that our church specifically needs to grasp a hold of. If we're going to live by faith, we also need to understand what doubt and unbelief look like. John chapter 20, verses 24 and 29 says, Now Thomas called the twin one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, watch this, I will not believe. And after eight days... His disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Now, how many of you know if someone just showed up out of nowhere, peace to you is a nice thing to hear. (laughs) Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Lord, this morning as we walk by faith, quicken this word to our heart. May we decrease And may you increase in Jesus' name. Amen. I love Thomas. I really do. I love the honesty of this story. I love going through the Word of God and just seeing how real God is with us. Thomas had questions that he needed answers to, and he asked for them. Many today call him Doubting Thomas. But I want you to notice that the Bible does not call him that. It actually, in many ways over the years, has made me more and more irritated when I hear people call him Doubting Thomas. You ever have these people in the Word of God that become your friends? Listen, that's our brother in the Lord. How many of you love him this morning? He was not Doubting Thomas. He didn't stay in doubt. And he did not stay in unbelief. Why should this man, who had some questions and received reassurance for them, have one moment from his life define him? Aren't you glad that the very one moments of your life don't define you? Someone say a good amen. Aren't you glad you are not remembered for your worst moments? Having questions is not unbelief. 
having questions and doubts can lead to unbelief, but having them initially is not unbelief. We know that Thomas actually went on to take the gospel to what we know today as India and Pakistan. He went into the heart of pagan territory and established the gospel. Some believe that he also took the gospel to Ethiopia, Ethiopia, Sri Lanka, and even into parts of China. We know that eventually Thomas died a martyr's death by a spear in India. Can you imagine being a Jewish man living in a Roman culture that understands Roman culture in the pantheon of gods that they worshipped and walking into a completely different culture with an entirely new set of pantheon of gods and boldly stepping into those nations and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Thomas was called the twin. It was a nickname that was given to him. Some believe that After his walking with the Lord, he began to look and sound a lot like Jesus. How many of you know, really, the people that you spend time with is who you begin to sound a lot like? Many say his character and mannerisms became a lot like the Lord, but we also know he had a twin brother. Jesus never rebuked Thomas. He just taught him more about faith. You see, the other disciples we look at and we go, well, you know, they believed, but they had already seen. The disciples, eight days before, had already had an experience with the Lord. Can I just encourage you, never be critical of people who have yet to have the same experience that you do. Just help them to find it. Thomas wanted to believe but he also wanted to see for himself. And when he was presented with evidence, he moved from doubt to belief. The word doubt is an uncomfortable one in most Christian circles. And to be honest with you, I've never understood this. I've found the gymnastics that we do with our words when it comes to doubt to be both frustrating or actually three things, to be frustrating, sad, and even somewhat amusing. Frustrating because genuinely good and faith-filled people are ridiculed for growing through life struggles. Sad because of the hurt that it causes when we accuse other people of not walking in faith just because they have questions. Amusing to watch religious people try to confess their way out of their doubts instead of taking them to God. Listen, doubt is something that is frowned upon or even condemned in many church circles. But that doesn't stop people from doubting. It just makes doubting shameful for many of us. I've lived and served in Christianity long enough to see the pain and confusion when people are condemned for having questions or because they admit that they have a sickness or a struggle. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know who to talk to about it or even how to talk about it. We just know that our questions feel like they're pulling us away from God. But what if they aren't? What if doubt 
in itself isn't inherently wrong. What if doubt is something that doesn't necessarily undermine our faith, but can actually lead us to deeper faith? You see, it's how we respond when we doubt that determines whether it is unbelieving doubt or that which leaves us away from faith, or believing doubt, that which actually leads us to deeper faith. Now get this. Doubt is something that's experienced by all Christians, young and old, new to the faith, even the mature in the faith. Doubt is normal. Turn to someone and say, doubt is normal. Go ahead and tell them right now, doubt is normal. Is there anyone in here who's ever had any questions? If you had, just raise your hand and wave it. See, now there's some of you going, oh, I never have any questions. You're a liar. I've talked with you. Why do we pretend like we don't? That's just the silliness of things that have become religiosity in the church. Someone said that doubt is a kind of spiritual growing pain. Doubt is an invitation to grow in faith and in understanding rather than something we need to panic about or get preoccupied with. Listen, you can't have faith without questions. Christians have questions. People have questions. And I want to remind you that God is not afraid or mad when we ask or when we have questions. We're allowed to have them, and we need to have them. Questions mean that we're thinking, that we're reasoning, that we're learning. Questions show us that we're teachable and able to learn and that we're even curious. Faith is not blind. Faith doesn't mean that we know everything. It just means that we know the one we are following while we are walking by faith. And I want to remind you that you can trust God and have questions. It's okay to admit that we have questions. And to admit them is not a lack of faith, but honesty. As a matter of fact, it is great faith to trust God and obey God while you still have doubts and questions. I've watched faithful Christians who who were struggling daily and struggling deeply lie their face off so that they did not appear faithless. Listen, faith does not deny the truth of our struggles. And I want to remind you that the Bible commands us not to lie. Turn to someone and say, don't lie. It takes faith to ask questions and believe that God will show you and tell you the truth. How many of you believe that God will never lie to you? How many of you believe that the Lord will speak truth into your life? It takes faith to trust God when He does not answer you. Or He takes His time getting you the answer. If you've ever been there once or twice, say a good amen. Listen, it takes faith to come to God when you're sick and recognize the disease you have and trust Him for healing. It is not doubt to say you were afflicted with a disease. There are people that will tell you today, well, don't say you have this or this. Listen, the Bible often identified lepers, the blind, the deaf, 
the mute, the women with an issue of blood, or children that were demon-confessed. Listen, even Jesus confessed what people had. It takes faith to admit that you have these things and that you are trusting God for healing. Doubt often means asking questions or voicing uncertainties from the standpoint of faith. We often have questions because we live in a world that does not value the truth. I preached on that a couple weeks ago about the deception that's in the world. In the next couple weeks, we're going to start a new series on Wednesday nights called Discernment for the Last Days. Now, I want you to get ready for it because I believe this is going to be one of the most important lessons you're going to get over the next coming months. Listen to me. I hope you'll be here on Wednesday. I hope you'll come in and learn it, or at least you'll tune in and listen. The enemy likes to keep us from a lot of things. But how many of you know we need to know how to navigate in the last days? The truth is we know that we live in a world that doesn't value truth. And all of us know that on many levels we're being lied to. It's hard to know who to trust. We have become a nation of skeptics and cynics. And it's wise to be skeptical or will be taken advantage of in the spiritual and in the natural Our questions help us to overcome our doubts and help us to learn the truth. One of the reasons that people struggle with faith is because of needing to understand the differences between doubt and unbelief. G. Campbell Morgan, one of the great preachers of years past, said, if you believe in God, you sometimes wonder why he allows certain things to happen. You ever been there? But keep in mind that there is a difference between doubt and unbelief. Unbelief is an act of the will, while doubt is born out of a troubled mind and a broken heart. You see, doubt and unbelief are different, and it's vital that we understand that. Satan likes to take our doubts and turn them into unbelief. And Jesus asks a great question in the book of Luke. In Luke 18.8, he said, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? You see, faith is belief in God. It is love for God, trust in God, and obedience to God in his ways. And at the heart of faith is a desire to please Him in everything and in every way. You see, faith is the opposite of unbelief. Trust is the opposite of doubt. And trust must be earned, and doubt must be overcome. Doubt is struggling to believe, and even wanting to believe, And trust God. Now I want you to get this though. Doubt is not spiritual. Doubt is carnal. Doubt is a struggle of our flesh. Doubt in itself is not sinful, but it is a result of our human nature. What we can feel, what we can see, what we can taste, what we can touch. 
And I want to remind you that we are invited to taste and see that the Lord is good. See, doubt deals with experience, which is why Thomas needed to see and feel the wounds of Jesus. Doubt is related to the five senses, our so-called natural logical way of thinking, and it is a struggle with our feelings and our emotions. Anyone in here struggle with your emotions and feelings sometimes? Doubt is not unbelief, but it does require proof to believe. Just like Thomas, it says, I will believe it when I see it. It is simply difficulty in understanding. Now listen, there is a point in our walk of faith as we grow in faith, as we grow in our walk with God, where we will begin to move to a place that we trust Him beyond our five senses. The idea of living by faith is getting to the point where God doesn't have to prove anything to you anymore, but you trust Him because you have experienced Him and you have known Him and you have found Him to be faithful and you know that His Word is true and you have tasted and seen that he is good Jesus said this blessed are those who have not seen and have yet to believe listen there is a blessedness there is a happiness about growing to that place in your walk with God that you've moved beyond the five senses and you have now started walking in the spirit and not after the flesh but listen it is a point that you must grow through and come to in your life The truth is that the majority of Christians in America and around the world are still carnal. We're still flesh-based. We still have to see and taste and touch to know. But listen, how many of you have already found God to be good? How many of you have already found Him to be faithful? Listen, so there comes a place when you move beyond the carnal and into the spiritual. Unbelief is an act of the will. It is choosing to not believe even when there's proof. Romans 1, 20 and 22 talks about these people. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. That's deep stuff. So that they are without excuse because... Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You see, faith is at the heart of the Bible. It is what characterizes the life of all believers, And I believe that God is dealing with this issue of unbelief in the lives of his children right now at the very end of the age so that as we get deeper into it, we're able to live that life of faith. And I'm convinced that this issue of living by faith is something that's close 
to the heart of God. Many in the Bible, of, in the body of Christ, struggle with unbelief, not just doubt. And for many, the reason they struggle is because we have a misunderstanding of the word believe. Today the word believe has been reduced to the idea of mental acknowledgement. For instance, I believe that the world is round. There are many people right now in our world that believe in a flat earth society. They are wrong. The world is not flat. It's round. If it wasn't, you wouldn't be sitting in your seat at the moment. You would be floating into space. There are people that say, I believe in love. I believe the sky is blue. There are many people that even believe that something is true, though it isn't. And I want to remind you that belief and truth are not the same thing. Many people have prayed the sinner's prayer because they believe that Jesus exists. They were emotionally moved by a non-confrontational message or maybe even by a truly convicting one. But for them, there was no real repentance. There was no turning from sin. Just an acknowledgement that God exists and they continue to live for themselves. There is only an intellectual confession of God and an emotional response to His love, but no real trust and walk that says they are living by faith. Acts 16.31 says, So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. You see, in the Bible, to believe means to not only acknowledge the existence of Jesus, but also to to obey His will, and to obey his word. Obedience to God and his ways is the essence of faith. Obedience and faith go hand in hand. And you can't have one without the other. Hebrews 5, 9 says, And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. James 2, 19 and 20 says, You believe that there is one God and you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? You see, we are called to a living faith. We are called to live by faith and not by sight. And the Bible says that the just, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and have been justified, not guilty, live by faith. I want to remind you that works are evident of a life of faith. And what are works? How we live. How we do life. Now listen. Unbelief manifests itself in many ways. First of all, by refusing to trust God. And remember, trust is a choice. Refusing to obey His word is another way that unbelief manifests itself. This is called living in disobedience. That's a choice. Refusing to live a life that's pleasing to him, a choice. And there's one key way that we can recognize unbelief in our life or even in others. Hebrews 3.12 says this, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief 
and departing from the living God. The Amplified puts it this way, take care, brothers and sisters, that there not be in any of you, in any one of you, a wicked, unbelieving heart which refuses to trust and rely on the Lord, a heart that turns away from the living God. The book of Hebrews is addressed to fellow Christians. There are many ways that we can depart from God. And the main way is when we refuse to trust and rely on the Lord. When we call into question, watch this, His faithfulness. If we allow small seeds of doubt to go undealt with in our hearts, they will grow and become unbelief. Christian, I want to encourage you in this year of living by faith to not allow unbelief to take root in you. Turn to someone and say, stay close to God. Many of us fight the same battle as the father who wanted to see his son healed and delivered. I want to read that to you out of Mark 9. It says, one of the crowd replied to him, Teacher, I brought to you my son. How many of you love your children? Possessed with a spirit which makes him unable to speak, and whenever it seizes him, intending to do harm, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, and grinds his teeth, and becomes stiff. I told your disciples to drive it out, and they could not do it. And he replied, O unbelieving Faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought him the, the boy to him, and when the demonic spirit saw him, immediately it threw the boy into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Listen, how many of you know the enemy just likes to put on a show? Don't be entertained by the enemy's show. This is where a lot of our unbelief begins to come in. We pay attention to the show. And as this boy is laying around on the ground, foaming at the mouth, notice Jesus doesn't even address the demon yet. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening? And he answered, since childhood. Now remember, this dad's having a conversation with Jesus while the boy's laying on the ground, flailing all about and foaming at the mouth. Sometimes the things we're concerned about are the things Jesus is even concerned about. And he said, since childhood, the demon has often thrown them both into the fire, into the water, intending to kill them. But if you can do anything... Take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, you say to me, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes and trusts in me. And immediately the father of the boy cried out with a desperate piercing cry saying, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I love that honesty. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering around them, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him 
again. After screaming out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse, so still and pale, that many of the spectators, and listen, the world's full of spectators, so is the church, said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he stood up. While the demon flailed, Jesus knew who he was. While the father talked to him, he knew who he was. When the demon left the boy, Jesus knew who he was. And when the boy looked like he was dead, Jesus knew who he was. Notice in all those things, Jesus wasn't moved one bit by what he saw, what he was experiencing, what he heard. The Father, I do believe. Help my unbelief. You ever been there? I love the honesty of this man. The truth is, in many of our churches, if someone said that, we'd all be like, what's wrong with you? You'd start scolding. We'd start wondering. But again, Jesus helped this man to greater faith. The disciples tried to drive out the demon, and they could not. You see, unbelieving is a lack of believing. It is a lack of trust, confidence, and assurance that something will happen. It's more than doubt. It is doubt that has become convinced that something is true, even when God says it isn't. Jesus said to him, you say to me, if you can. All things are possible for the one who believes and trusts in me. All things are possible for the one who trusts and believes in me. Listen, so doubt needs to move to trust. Corey Ten Boom said this, the wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something and enter God's realm where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible. Nothing is too great for his almighty power and nothing is too small for his love. Unbelief is not simply a question about things. It's not doubt. Unbelief is serious because it does not just address the reliability of what God can do. It is serious because it calls into question the reliability of His character. Unbelief is not about what God can do. It is about who we believe God is. And remember, all faith is built upon the question that Jesus asked Peter. Who do you say that I am? I want to ask you this morning, who do you say that God is? Who do you say that he is? Well, I want to tell you, we know we're living in the last days, but the church is either going to be at its best or we're going to not. Either we're going to live by faith and walk by faith, but you've got to know who God is. Who is he to you? Peter looked at him and said, My Lord and my God, you are the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. And He's anointing. And I love you. And I trust you. Listen though, the disciples couldn't drive out the demon because they were self-conscious about who they were. When that devil began to cast that boy on the ground and roll around and he began to foam at the mouth, they became concerned about who they were. The issue of their faith wasn't in themselves. It was their confusion about who Jesus is and the authority that he gave them to drive out demons. In a sermon on the sin of unbelief, Charles Spurgeon said, Unbelief dishonors God. Every other crime touches on God's territory. But unbelief aims a blow at his divinity. It impeaches his veracity. It denies his goodness. It blasphemes his attributes and maligns his character. Therefore, of all things, God chiefly hates first and foremost unbelief, wherever it is. You see, at the heart of our faith is the faithfulness of God. At the forefront of our trust is the unchangingness of His character. And we must have this settled or remove an unbelief. And listen, God will allow every believer to have their faith challenged. To where you believe that God is who He said He is. That God is faithful and that He is good. He will bring you to a place where your five senses say, I don't see it, I don't feel it, I don't understand it, and I've got some questions. He will bring you to a place where you are convinced that either God is good and He is faithful and who He says He is or He's not. Listen, if you are ever going to walk by faith and not by sight, God is going to have to bring you as a believer to a place where you can't see it, you can't touch it, you can't smell it, you can't taste it, but you know that He is your God and your feet are planted on His Word and you know that He loves you and you're going to follow Him and obey Him no matter what. This is why the apostles could sit in jail and say, I still know that he's for me. Why Job could say, though he slay me, still I trust him. And listen, the average American doesn't even know how to walk that way because we have lived in such blessing. We expect to always see it, hear it, touch it, and taste it. Please listen to me. The average Christian will not know how to stand in the coming days unless they learn how to truly live by faith. How they can sing with those of old, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I will stand on Him and His Word, and I will trust Him no matter what comes my way. Understand your faith will be tried. It will be tested. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. 
Oh, you and I might be able to turn on who we are and become someone different to fit everybody else's thoughts, but not Jesus. The Amplified says if we're faithless, he remains faithful, true to his word and his righteous character, for he cannot deny himself. One of our enemy's chief tactics against us is to call into question God's faithfulness and goodness. I love when God begins to challenge people younger in their life. Because my goodness, if they get it in their 20s and 30s, they're going to have a whole life to live by faith. There's something unstoppable about them. God's faithfulness is not contingent upon our faith. It's not. He's still God. It's not even contingent on our trust or even our character. The faithfulness of God is dependent on who He is. I was talking with someone this week and they sent me this. Sharon, you sent this to me the other day. And man, I was, yesterday, I think you sent it in the morning and I was coming in. The Lord said, Add this. Romans 4 19 through 22 is not on the overhead. But it talks about Abraham. And it says, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. Come on, someone say a good amen. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, she was in her 90s, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. He promises and he is able. How many of you believe his word? Everything that God has for us is received through faith. And this starts with our salvation because we are saved by grace through. But unbelief robs us of all that God has. God promises a rest for our lives and that there is a rest, a more of, a more than that comes through faith. I want to leave you with these last two verses before I close. Hebrews 4.11 says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Least anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. The King James puts it this way, Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, least any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Matthew 11.24 says, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, Believe that you receive them and you will have them. It means you're trusting God. Believe in God, not for the thing, but in God. Now listen, we have a much better understanding of faith, doubt, and unbelief. If you think you got a better understanding of that this morning, would you say a good amen? amen. So I have a word for you. Be believing not unbelieving. Would you stand with me?
When I was preparing this message, the Lord reminded me that this would be one of the most important messages I would deliver this year. I hope you understand the significance of it. As a matter of fact, when I go to preach in other places, this will be the word that I'm taking. Be believing. I want to ask you, who do you trust? Has God brought you to that place where your questions are forcing you to deal with the reality of who you believe he is with every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord Jesus, this morning we want to thank you that you are faithful. We want to thank you that you are good to us. We want to thank you for your word, which is true and solid and marvelous. As we began our journey this year with that theme, by faith. I thank you, Lord, that you are calling us to a place of total trust, total hope, entire commitment to you. Lord, I thank you for those in this room today that are dealing with struggles and they have questions. I thank you, you're you're the one who answers. I thank you, God, that you're not afraid of our questions. I thank you, Lord God, that you don't condemn us for the things we're dealing with. You asked the lepers, what do you want? And they said, we want you to heal us of leprosy. Their statement wasn't just a confession of what they had. It was a request of faith about what they wanted you to do, despite what they had. I pray that, Father, we would know the difference. I pray, God, for those that have been hurt and wounded by a church that has told them they can't have questions. I thank you this morning for reasoning, thinking, curious people. I also thank you that you're the Lord who gives answers. I pray for those today that are in that place where you've brought them to the point of decision. They're going to have to decide. They're either going to obey you or walk away. They're either going to trust you. And Lord, I thank you that that's a a pinnacle moment in their life because once they make that step by faith out of the carnal and into the spiritual and they begin to live by faith and not by sight. I thank you the devil can't have them. I thank you that choice is theirs. And while he is telling them to make the wrong choice, I thank you for believers that have a heart for you. I pray for those who may have walked away that are listening to this this morning, whether in this room or watching through the internet. I pray, God, right now that you deal with their heart, that you would draw them back to you. Remind them of your love. Help them to taste and see again that you are good. Thank you for your mercy. In the midst of those who have grown angry, Thank you that a soft answer turns away wrath. I thank you that you're gentle with us. I thank you, Lord, that you are raising up a people in these last days that fearlessly live by faith. God, we thank you that we're going to see 
amazing things happen as we do. Now I pray your blessing on each one this morning. May your goodness, may your kindness, may your face shine upon them. Lord, may they be encouraged this week. Those that are tired, may they be refreshed today. I pray that spiritually, emotionally, physically, the refreshing of the Lord would be upon them. And we'll give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. Listen, the Lord bless you. A reminder, Wednesday night, we are in the last of that series, The Power of Agreement, and then we're going to move into the new one. Come out on Wednesday night. Be a part of what God's doing. God bless you.